Oh, we lost your audio. You got muted, Al. <laughs> I'm sorry. Take the fix that in post. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I might fix it. <laughs> if I think it's funnier the first one. Yeah, yeah. You never know with him. He's very tricky with the edits. From Atlanta, where Chick-fil-A sauce is sold in stores and it's the next thing to go after milk, bread, and toilet paper in an emergency, it's the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. Brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who's trying to cut down his sugar intake by eating half the ice cream in the morning and the other half in the evening, John Mihalik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. My name is John Mihalik, and I'm excited to be here with my co-host, the artistic director of Whole World Improv Theater, Chip Powell. Hey, John. Very excited to be here. We have been really working hard on season one, and we're finally done. And we're very excited to kick off season two, which is going to be all about improv education. I couldn't think of a better person to be on our first episode of season two than the master of teaching <laughs> improv, Mr. Hal Peller. Hello, Hal. Chip, it's a thrill for me to be here. I love the whole world. You know that very dear to me. And, and I love improvisation. And I love my classes that I taught whenever I get, come to Atlanta, my old hometown. Yeah. Well, and we love when you come here because it brings so many performers from around the city that some have seen us or been to our shows and some haven't. So it also generates excitement around what we're doing. And when we bring a guest in like you, it's a different or a fresh perspective for even the people that have been here for a number of years to have. And we yeah, do that with several with, performers. Yeah, no, and I even worked, came in and worked with your cast. I even came in and did a Saturday morning teen class one time. Uh, I love it. I just love improvisation. I love teaching it. A lot of your work is with Spolin. And I, you know, a lot of improvisers that are just starting out probably don't know who Viola Spolin is. And right, right. the basis of a lot of your work, can you talk about your early years of education and improv and Viola Spolin and how that influenced sure. you? Well, I was doing stand up. In fact, on August 3rd, 1978, my first paid stand-up gig was at the Great Southeast Music Hall. Remember that place? At Broadview Plaza. No, it was before you. <laughs> it was before me. I was born in Toledo. So I, 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 I <laughs> oh, yeah. I did stand-up. That was my first paid stand-up. And the way I got that job was I was doing sound for the city of Atlanta, outdoor sound. My, uh, my roommate had the, uh, all the outdoor sound equipment. We were setting up stage and I went up on stage to do mic check. And here's like 3000 people out sitting out on the blankets in the, out on the grass. And I microphone audience. I just started to, to just play with the audience and the, one of the managers of the band said, could you open for our group? We're at the great Southeast music hall. I don't know, John, if the music hall was where, uh, Lily Tomlin, Robert Klein, the committee, Ace Trucking Company, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Martin, uh, Martin Mull, uh, and then mute. That's just comedy. It was just amazing. And this little 800 seat theater at, and Broadview Plaza. It was great. So I started doing stand up. 
I moved to uh, I was going to move to New York to continue doing stand up. I did. I played at colleges and I I got a uh, Anthony Scott Management. They were based in Atlanta back then. This is back. That's why I'm 70 years old now. I'm so old. (laughs) I got to do all that. So I, I played. And I really was hitting it out of the park. It was amazing, right straight out the gate. So I said, I've I got to move to New York. Now, I lived in New York for college, and that's where I met my wife today. We've been married for over 40 years. And so I did the comedy clubs in New York. Well, I wasn't killing anymore. Different audience. Mm-hmm. I did colleges in North Carolina, South Carolina. I worked in Florida. But New York City? So I took a comedy writing class. And that teacher, this is 1980, introduced me to a book called Improvisation for the Theater by Viola Spohn. And I went, well, this is interesting. And I read that book cover to cover and fell in love with the process of improvisation. I never did stand up again. I stopped. That book changed my life. So I studied with Paul Sills, uh, Del Close, David Shepard, who started with Paul, uh, the Compass Players in St. Louis with Nichols and May and all these incredible old timers, Alan Arkin. Anyway, so I got to study with these unbelievable folks. But the one person that I studied with in New York was in the cast in 1967, 68 in Second City, Martin Harvey Freeberg. And I learned so much from Marty that I was able to start coaching stand-up because that's what he did. He coached, he worked with uh, Larry David and he improvised a movie with Karen Black and Larry. Uh, But I learned so much from him. Anyway, I read Viola Spone cover to cover. I loved her process and it was all about the process. And when I was studying with Paul Sills, her son, and then also with uh, his daughter, Aretha Sills, that I really understood what, the philosophy behind her, one of her things was that anybody can improvise, anybody can become stage worthy. And she had people that were off the street in her workshops, and she was having them able to play. And what it was that I really fell in love with was that not to think about what you're doing, be out, totally out of your head. That's what they, that's what her son said, Paul Sills used to say, get out of your head. If you think about it is when you get in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just get out of your head, get out of your own way and play. And the games were designed to, and he says, I don't teach improvisation. I facilitate my mom's games. Yeah. And the games are designed to trip you into the zone. And so I'd started doing public workshops in 1982, 81, 81. I started to teach my own workshops because I understood where she was coming from, sort of. But the more I taught, the better I understood what was happening. And side coaching was a big part of it. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things that she does. And one of the things I learned about side coaching is that you don't call a person out on stage and say, talk louder. You say to the whole cast, who's ever on stage, share your voice. And whoever's not sharing their voice will get louder. You've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? 
Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. So over the years, studying with Paul, studying with Del Close, studying with David Shepard, studying with Marty, and I also studied with uh, Gary Austin from uh, Groundlings, and they all had peripheral stuff on top of what Viola taught, but I always fell back to the basics. I loved Viola Spohn's work. Mm-hmm. So pure and natural, and, or- and the funny came out organically, if it was going to be funny. I've done a lot of scenes which turned out to be poignant. One of my best scenes was with my wife and it was just going and nobody was laughing. And I just stayed with the, I was, you know, stayed with the game and focused on it. And when we finished, like you let it go on, I think 10, 10, 12 minutes long, which is unusual. And at the end we got a standing ovation and I went, what? So that was great. I said, I didn't hear anybody laugh. He said, it wasn't funny. It was so poignant and real and honest. And that's the most important thing is to stay honest and true to how you feel in that moment. Trusting your intuitive self to love and to be true. And so your fellow players can feel it. You don't worry about the audience. They're going to, they'll fill in the blank no matter what you do on stage. Don't worry about the audience. Worry about your fellow players. And over the years, I've come up with uh, these 10 rules. The top three rules are this. Always make positive choices. You're in a scene, somebody offers you something to do. You can't say no. Say yes. And I heard people say the yes and. I'll yes and that. Right? And that what you folks yeah. work with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I work with another group, the Applied Improvisation Network. And they have a whole, it's a verb now, yes anding. That's, that's not spoiling. <laughs> yeah, yes, anding is not spawned because and I learned that from Marty when I re- reconnected with him. I said that my top three rules is yes and, and he went, what? I said, yeah, you have to say yes. He said, no, you can say no. I said, he said, tell me to do something. He said, okay, Marty, drink your coffee. He said, no. And I, I think an eyebrow went up and I heard that no. Because when someone says no to me, it's like getting punched in the stomach. It's like, because I'm so, I've been practicing being positive for over 40 years. When someone says no, that's not a carriage. That's a turkey you got in your hand. That's not a baby. That's a turkey. Hey, I said it was a baby. And I guess an eyebrow went up and Marty just kept going, brought the scene and he took over. And he just made it so funny. So that's one of my rules. Always make positive choices. And, uh. People are attracted to positive people. People want to collaborate enthusiastically with positive people. So it's better to be positive than to go negative. That's one rule. The second rule, we solve problems in the moment. And you know you're in the moment because you can't physically be in the past and you can't physically be in the future. You can only physically be in this moment. So we're solving problems in the moment using the resources that are right here, right now, in this moment. And so you don't have to worry about what I did yesterday, what I had for lunch yesterday. You can stay in the moment. It's easier. 
And people do things in the moment without thinking about it. Like, uh, name a great guitar player. Jimi Hendrix. That's absolutely. My first concert in Atlanta was Jimi Hendrix at the old Civic Auditorium. And the Soft Machine, the Vanilla Fudge, and Ted Nugent and Amboy Dukes. Anyway, and I think I was in 11th grade. He practiced. <laughs> he practiced. But he trusted that his hands would do the right thing when it came time to play. And the, my, one of my buddies in New York City is a New, uh, is a New York City firefighter. He drills, practices. But when it comes time to go into a burning building and save a life, he doesn't say to himself in his head, oh, I need to hold my hand on the door to see if it's hot before I open it. No, it's internalized. He trusts that he's going to do the right thing. So if you're on stage solving a problem, being positive in the moment, then you're gold. But here's the number one rule. And I heard you talk about this on one of your podcasts. And this is the only rule that can't be broken. Make the other person look great. So you got four or five people on stage all trying to make the other person look great. So it's not about me. It's about you. What do you need to look great? And I, I do that without thinking about it because I'm in the moment and I'm positive and I'm making you look great. And every rule can be broken except for that one rule. And you'll see that you can say no if you're making the other person look great. You can work out of the moment if you're making the other person look great. That's the only time you can break all the rules is if you're making the other person look great. So then in uh, 1983, one of my public students came to me and said, how, man, this has helped me at work. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm able to talk with my boss more. My self-esteem, my confidence level is up. I feel great at work. I believe it's because of what you taught me here make choices, positive choices, and stay in the moment, solving problems with what you've got here. And my confidence level, just my self-esteem is up. I feel great. And it's because of what you taught. So I said, hmm, that's where the money is, corporate training. Yeah, that is. So, yeah, I mean, there's no money in the art form. I might do that because I love it. I'm passionate about it. But where the money is, is corporate training. So, in 1987, word of mouth got my first corporate gig was with GE Financial Services, new product department. And I worked with them. They hired me for my improvisation. And I had to make a couple of tweaks and hit it out of the park. So in 2003, I did a handful of corporate jobs from 1987 to 2003. 2003, I was at the Broadway Theater Institute doing my improv workshops. I even brought Marty in after I found him to do uh, one of his sessions. Oh, my God. And, you know, the original problem solver is Viola Spohn. She created her games to solve acting problems with her kids. And she saw the benefit of playing games, which has a single focus, keep your eye on the ball, to solve a problem, an acting problem with her kids. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Tune in next week for the second part of our conversation with the great Hal Peller. And check the episode notes out for a link to his website where you can find out all about his book. Until next time, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater podcast. 
now with a fresh new lemony scent. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and servant in the place of truth is Chip Powell. The other producer, writer, whatever, is John Mihalik. Ooh, that is ominous. The voiceover booth here isn't set up yet, and so I'm, I'm kind of pulling some strings, and I'm huddled underneath a giant comforter, and it's probably about 120 degrees under here, and big old sweat droplet dropped right on what I'm reading, and right on the H of Mihalik. I don't know what it means. Probably means that we're both sweaty people, John. Original music by The Gentle Readers. And our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. And use emojis. It's fun watching John try to figure out what they are. Eggplant donut, eggplant donut, eggplant donut, bagel. What's the difference between a bagel and a donut in the euphemism world? Write in and let us know. Or a peach. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible. It's easier than lying about the size of your home office. Oh, man, that's another one that hit really close to home. But I've only really lived in 600 square feet ever. At most. So it's negligible. All right, IRS, you have won. By far, you win. You win. Just take my life. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Hollow. And I'm now officially drenched in sweat from head to toe. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. It's so addicting. And everybody that I turn on, the cult, uh, my cult, my little cult. The cult. cult. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny you say that. Um, Because you named uh, the whole episode after Chip. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The cult. Uh, Yeah, no, I saw. Yeah, the uh, percent of cult. Well, and they, uh, it's so funny because uh, when people would come in, especially like uh, like early 2000s, you know, they were like, I heard you guys are a cult. And I was like, until I get you to drink that chicken blood. We're not going to swing that chicken around you. Yeah. Over your head. <laughs> <laughs>